everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. I'm going to uh, ask you to raise a hand, and I know that this, this first week is not going to be the number of hands that I hope, okay? But um, how many took me up on this 1 Corinthians reading challenge and read a bit from 1 Corinthians this week? That's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, I'm going to uh, continue to shame you into this uh, and pull the crowd every week. That's really good. Thank you for doing that. And so we're in the second part of 1 Corinthians. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he made a promise and he offered up a prayer that are inextricably linked. You know, in Matthew's gospel, chapter uh, 16, Jesus made a promise, I will build my church. And then in John 17, he offered up this curious prayer. He prayed to God the Father that Christians in the church would be unified, uh, one people, loving each other as as the Trinitarian God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit are lovingly united. And he prayed for unity knowing that it's going to be far more difficult than actually causing the church to come into existence. Um, Jesus then died for our sins so that, that we could be reconciled to God, reconciled to one another. You know, it's sin that separates us. It's, it's Jesus that unifies us. And then we see Jesus being buried three days later, rises again. He's, he ascends back to heaven. Shortly thereafter, the church explodes, goes from about 100 people to 3,000 added in one day, and uh, Jesus then decided that uh, there was this one dude, Saul, who was on the wrong team. He was persecuting and harming Christians, and so Jesus sort of makes this cameo from heaven and, and knocks old Saul to the ground and gets his undivided attention and told him, you're to worship Jesus, and in fact, I'd like you to be the one to plant and lead churches for non-Jews. And he does just that. He changes his name to Paul. He, he starts worshiping Jesus. And he goes from town to town and city to city. He's planting new congregations, all right? And he goes to this crazy, up-and-coming, cool, hip port city called Corinth. And Paul serves in that place for about 18 months. He establishes the church. He believes it's well-established enough that he can move on. And so he moves on to some other place, maybe Ephesus, maybe Antioch, doing exactly what Jesus told him to do. But then everything starts to fall apart in Corinth. And and it's it's like as soon as Paul's out of the room, uh, you know, they start believing crazy ideas and getting drunk and falling into all kinds of sexual immorality. And so Paul is trying to address these problems to a young church filled with new Christians 
That's the letter of First Corinthians in a nutshell, and that's what we're studying today and for the next several weeks. So he's trying to counsel them and lead them and teach them and even rebuke them as a good pastor should. So, so let's pick up in chapter 1, verse 10. If you've got your Bible, you can read along with me. If not, we'll put the verses up on the screen. But Paul says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we talked about this last week, that that's where he gets his authority. He's speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ. That all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. So Paul's first point to this immature church is that they need to acknowledge that they aren't unified, and the way that they're thinking and acting is leading to serious fragmentation in the church. Now, some of you have unfortunately lived through something like this in in churches, church fights, church splits, painful divisions in the church where people don't love each other, they don't like each other, They're they're on different teams, they're like a team of rivals. Now, there's this great book about Lincoln called Team of Rivals. And what that meant was that he, he created a team using Democrats, Republicans, people politically opposed to each other. What I mean by this today is that we should be a team, but sometimes we are rivals on the same team, which doesn't make sense. So let me speak for a moment, if, if I could, about uh, unity. And and first, let me tell you what I think unity is not, okay? Unity is not absolute tolerance of all perspective and views. Unity does not mean we sort of get rid of all our convictions and all our distinctions and all, uh, all the things that make us uniquely Christian so that we can be, like, as inoffensive to everyone as possible. That's not... That's not operating as faithful Christians, right? So, so Paul isn't a weak person. He's not afraid of confrontation. In fact, you know, the reason he keeps getting beaten up and thrown in prison and, and arrested throughout the Bible is because he's actually a very strong, unabashed truth guy. And in fact, in another part of the Bible, Paul says, I confronted Peter to his face. And he did that when he felt Peter was acting like a hypocrite. He didn't care that Peter was sort of on the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. He didn't care that he had witnessed the resurrection or that he'd preached and 3,000 people got saved. He saw him acting hypocritically, and he called him out on it. And so listen, unity does not mean that we tolerate sin, that we tolerate false teaching, that we tolerate immoral conduct. You know, when, I think when most people in Canada hear unity, what they hear is embrace all perspectives, all moralities, all choices, all religions. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's a man who, who fights for truth, who defends truth. Um, He's not going to compromise his convictions about Jesus. And he's telling the church that they need to be unified, not in spite of the truth, but around it. And the second thing that unity does not mean, it does not mean uniformity, okay? It doesn't mean that we all need to be the same. I don't know if you've 
ever been to a church and, and you're a little weirded out because all the guys are sort of dressed the same, khakis and polo shirts, and all the women seem to have the same, you know, ankle-length skirts, right? And all the children are sort of dressed in the same clothes. That's called a cult, okay? That's, that's, that's weird. Um, unity is not uniformity, okay? We don't all need to look the same and sound the same. We don't need to agree on everything. There's actually... There actually needs to be diversity that is gathered around the principle of unity. So, so let me explain it this way. The Bible gives us many principles. I sort of talked about it in, in that uh, offering spiel. And then it allows us to have a certain freedom in regards to methods that we use to implement those principles. So it says in the Bible all kinds of places, worship God. That's the principle. Method. Well, there's lots of different ways to arrange your music in your church service, right? Um, it says to parents in Ephesians, you should raise up their children. That's, that's the principle. The method? Well, homeschool, Christian school, public school, uh, timeouts, wooden spoons, Santa, no Santa. There's different methods. Christians need to be unified on the principles, not necessarily on the methods, Nod your head if you're, if you're reading what I'm putting out there, if you're smelling what I'm cooking. Okay. Now, you'll see later in this series that, like, Paul actually argues for diversity as, a, as an expression of unity. It's not a contradiction to unity, okay? So not every family, not every marriage needs to organize itself in the same way. As long as families, as long as individuals as long as churches are faithful to the principles of scripture. So let me tell you what I think unity in the context of church is. First, there needs to be a theological unity. Now, there's actually a short list of things that we ought to take a bullet for, metaphorically speaking, theologically speaking. You know, the the authority of Scripture, the, the divinity of Jesus, um, salvation through Jesus alone, forgiveness of sin at the, at the cross, salvation by faith through grace alone. Um, we believe in the Holy Spirit. You know, these are things we're not going to change our mind on. Well, aren't you open to new views? Not on these things, okay? But we also have a whole whack of other things that we acknowledge that faithful Christians who love Jesus, who believe their Bible, have a variety of reasonable opinions on. It's actually a much bigger list, and we're not willing to take a bullet for those things. We're not willing to die on those hills. Rather, we graciously, open-handedly debate and discuss those things. Yes, Lord? Is that... It says there's going to be a trumpet sound, and, or is there a ringtone? Uh, on that list, that longer list of open-handed things, maybe things like, uh, what does heaven look like? Uh, when and how is Jesus coming back? Uh, something we call eschatology. Uh, speaking in tongues, uh, worship styles, right? Those are things that we hold in open hand, and we, we hold them loosely. You know, sometimes people come along and they want to argue about the finer 
points of doctrine. And what they really want to do is they want to make secondary issues into primary issues. I had a lady call the church office, and she was clearly looking for a church. And we were, sounded like about the seventh or eighth in a row. And she went through a checklist of things that were ridiculous, including the ingredients of our communion elements and who we supported on televangelists and who we didn't. And like, it's the primary things that we unify on. Secondary matters are things that we'll debate, but not divide over, okay? We'll debate, but not divide over. So, so first, unity has to be about what we will and will not fight over, theologically speaking. Secondly, what I mean by unity is that it's relational, um, that people love each other. And, and newer folks, Tanakh, I know like it can be hard coming to a Sunday service and seeing lots of people and wondering, you know, how do I get connected? But I'm telling you, if you stick it out, you'll see that, that people here have meals together. They pray for each other. When, they're, when a baby is born, they, they bring meals to the mom. Uh, when someone gets married, they celebrate. When someone's sick or in the hospital, they visit. Um, we can't just be a weekly event that, that, that people attend, like they would a concert or a, or a movie. We're to be a family where, where we know each other, where we love each other, where we pray for one, in, uh, one another, where we serve each other. So unity for us is, is theological and it's relational, where we're breaking bread together, where we're being friends, taking good care of each other. And on some level, too, I think we need to have a philosophical unity, the way we do things at NAC. So at NAC, we embrace video and the arts and, you know, current musical styles. And we're kind of an informal atmosphere. We value children and youth. Um, we're a church that's not afraid of culture. We're an egalitarian church. You know, that's some of the culture that makes Knack, knack, things that were long established before I got here, right? So, so if you want to come um, and influence us into singing hymns or having only male leadership or becoming a formal liturgical church, please don't, because that's just not, that's not who we are. Um, there's a lot of good churches out there who do that. And sometimes you'll find people who've, who've left a church and they come to your church and they might say, oh, we love this church. It's so good to be in this church. It's like a breath of fresh air. Um, can I make a suggestion, though? Can, can you be more like our old church? Oh, you mean the one you just left? Yeah. See, all that aside, though, if, if we had to summarize what we're about in one word, that word should be, must be, Jesus. Um, that's what we're about, the Jesus of the Bible. So when, so when you're asked, you know, what's best about Knack? Well, I like the fact that we have this kind of music, or I think that Jonathan's funny, or I think that he's not funny, or I think that Glenn's hunky, or, you know, <laughs> I like the women's ministry, or this is my favorite department. No. Jesus, Jesus, 
So Paul's first appeal is for unity. And then his second appeal is for maturity. Verses 11 to 12, he says, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household. Now, we think Chloe was probably a wealthy businesswoman, maybe, um, maybe a new Christian who was, who was bankrolling a lot of this ministry. She's perhaps like uh, Lydia in Acts, who had the same kind of reputation. Women figure very prominently in the ministry of Jesus and Paul. So godly women with sound, solid business sense, and like this woman probably is. And they had disposable income, and so they generously would underwrite the ministry. He says, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. So Paul's in Corinth, or sorry, Paul's in another city, and the church of Corinth is in another city, and there are reports coming to Paul that are like, Yikes, the church is not doing good. People are chucking chairs and popping caps in each other. It's a real East Coast, West Coast rap hip-hop thing going on right now. And he says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Well, isn't that the human condition right there? Um, Like we so quickly make tribes and teams. I'm team Fox News. I'm team MSNBC. I, you know, hashtag make America great again. Hashtag not my president. You know, you millennials may remember this one. Team Jacob and team... Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, maybe just my girls. <laughs> Vampires. We, we do it in church too. Oh, I'm team... Tim Keller, ooh, you know, you're a neo-reformer. Well, I'm more a Bill Johnson guy. Ooh, you're a charismatic with, you know, gold dust and slain in the spirit and all that. And sometimes in bigger churches, we have this in-house thing that happens. Well, I'm team youth pastor. Well, I'm team worship pastor. What if they're the same guy in your church? (laughs) Huh? So they carry this kind of cultural divisiveness into their church. Well, Paul's my guy. Well, Peter's my guy. No, I'm team Apollos. And they'd show up with their team jerseys and their gang colors, and the whole church is divided and fighting, and they needn't be. They needn't be team Paul or team Apollos or team Peter because Paul and Peter and Apollos all love Jesus, and they all preach the same thing, and they all serve the same God. Apollos was a great preacher. Peter was um, the leader of the disciples. Paul was the one who founded the church. They all had good reasons to be respected. You know, certain, have you noticed that certain church leaders get elevated to like rock stars? And it's, it's not good. Not good. So, so we need to be careful that while we respect spiritual leadership, we don't deify our leaders. So ironically, you have these sort of two extremes, these two ditches in Corinth. You know, the one ditch where they overemphasized human leadership, you know, the other ditch where they disrespected it altogether. And, and I guess this same extreme continues in Christianity today. And then I can even imagine that those who have uh, the correct Sunday school answer, 
may not have said it from a place of maturity, because some of them said, oh, you like Apollos? Oh, you're, you're team Peter? Um, how nice for you. I'm team Jesus. Yeah. Uh, don't you hate those oh-so-spiritual folks? Uh, you're like, so where, where do you go to church? Oh, silly, we don't, we don't go to church. Uh, it's, it's me and Jesus. He's my co-pilot. Uh, we're like, you know, we're like this. Well, do you have anybody who speaks into your life? I don't need to. Jesus talks to me. Uh, I have unlimited uh, minutes to Jesus. Uh, direct line to JC, right? I don't know if this was the case or not, but maybe that team was arrogant enough to say, we don't care what Paul says. Who's he? Well, he's the guy who founded the church and led you to Christ and baptized you and taught you for 18 months. That should count for something. And who's this Peter guy? Well, he's one of the disciples, and he was trained by Jesus for three years, and he wrote two books of the Bible. You know, it's a little scary, I think, when Christians who don't have a church that they're actually connected to and growing in. So there's a number of, of people who profess to be on Team Jesus who, you know, I guess they're so close to Jesus that they don't need anybody else. And this was the problem at this church, you know, the super Christian who doesn't need any spiritual leadership, who, um, and those who took the star celebrity culture into their church where they love their pastor more than Jesus, even to the point where they're willing to blow up their church over it so that their team won. So let me just say this about how maturity relates to unity. First thing is that um, among faithful, Bible-believing Christians, there are differences, but not divisions, okay? There are differences, but not divisions. Let me give you a good example thing that, um, that our own Ian Knight can take a lot of the credit for. It's something called One Church here in Newmarket, where pastors who don't agree on some of the secondary issues of theology meet together and pray for each other and bless each other. I just ran into uh, a Fred from uh, Crossland's church, and, uh, and we were just able to bless each other, root for each other. We're on Team Jesus, right? And, and we're not in competition with each other the way Starbucks is with, with Timmy's. And I, I hear people say all the time, well, Christians, they, they just disagree with each other. They can't agree on anything. And that's not actually true. On the things that matter, uh, faithful Christians agree. I mean, you ask any faithful Christian, like, who's your God? Jesus. What book do you like? The Bible. What's your problem? I'm a sinner. You know, we'll give you the same answer. Now, on other things, secondary matters, there are differences, but not division. And unfortunately, sometimes some people will, will hold their differences to the degree that they make uh, divisions. And some of, you, some of you speak in tongues. Some of you don't. Some of you believe in the rapture. Some of you don't. Some of you like me, some of you don't. Um, that's cool. There are differences, but they don't need to be divisions. It, it breaks my heart. It's actually my holy discontent, the things that Christians will say about each other. And I'm not talking about when someone's in sin or when there's false doctrine being taught, but 
if it's just differences, then God's people need to be mature enough to say that we have principles and methods and we agree on the principles and we love the same God and we read the same book and you do things just a little differently, but we love you and we're praying for you and we're rooting for you and we want you to succeed because we're all on team Jesus. That's what Paul's arguing for in this church, that they would agree on what's primary and they can be generous and gracious on what's secondary. So, so we as Christians, we have preferences, but they don't need to be prejudices. Uh, when it comes to, like, let's say worship music. Other churches have preferences. Some people love an organ. I don't, I, I don't get that. I don't, I don't. I'm just being honest with you, frankly, I don't know anyone who even has an organ, like in their home, or listens to the all-organ station on Sirius XM. But, and if I'm being honest, I also don't want to sing, you know, the dance remix of Break Every Chain 68 times in a row. I'm just being honest. How long was worship today? Oh, 45 minutes. How many songs did you sing? One. <laughs> Those are my preferences, okay? They're not right. They're not wrong. They're mine. And if you disagree, I would defend till the day I die your right to be wrong. Whatever. I like rock. I, I like country. I like hymns. I like K-pop. I, good. Principle is sing to the Lord. Um, great. That's the principle. Method? Shine Jesus shine or rock Jesus rock or whatever. Um, preferences, not prejudice. It's, it's, it's actually great for a church to have diversity. It doesn't need to have division because at the end of the day, it's not about style. It's about our Savior. And the big C church, the universal church, it's a, it's a multi-lane highway. Lots of different lanes you can drive in, you know, different sizes and styles and methods. And that's good. If it's all headed to Jesus, multiple lanes are a good thing. It just means that more types of people will reach more types of people for Jesus. Now, what this will require of you, and what Paul is getting at is that we will need to be mature. See, everything was fine in Corinth until Paul left, left the room, and then the spitball started flying, right? Jessica, you know, like, the, the rule of proximity in teaching? Like, you know, you just sometimes need to stand beside a kid, and, and he gets the message, proximity. But Paul had left the room, and then in verse 13, he asks some rhetorical questions. Is Christ divided? Does, does Jesus only love some people? Like, you know, the Baptists, the Lutherans, the Methodists, the Independents, the Charismatics, the non-Charismatics, the people who love hymnals and organs, people who meet at night, people who meet in the day, people who have services in Korean or English or Cantonese or Vietnamese. He's asking does Jesus only love a few of his kids in the family of God? No. Jesus loves the whole church, right? And, and then we talked about it last week, that all who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are the church. And so the second rhetorical thing he asks is, 
Was Paul crucified for you? I mean, this is the issue of salvation. And Paul's like, hmm, I don't remember dying on the cross for your sins. So, like, don't write worship songs to me. Paul, I lift your name on high. Then sings my soul, my Savior, Paul, to thee. You know, like Paul says, I thought I was being a good pastor. I was pointing everybody to Jesus. But now all you're talking about is me in your small groups. And I didn't save your soul. Jesus is the one who changed your life. The third rhetorical question he asks is, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Um, Is your ultimate allegiance to me or is it to Jesus? This is so important. I, I want you guys to respect pastors and leaders in the church, I, I don't want you to have too low of a view of leadership or too high a view of leadership. You know what happens when you have an inordinately high view of your pastor or your mentor or your small group leader? I promise you this will happen 10 times out of 10. They will disappoint you, okay? Jesus won't. Jesus won't. He goes on then to explain this in verse 14. I thank God that I did not baptize any of you. And then he has a little senior moment here, except Crispus and Gaius. And, and so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone. I love, I love this. It's just a real letter. Senior's moment there. It's beautiful. But what's happening here is people are saying, uh, Paul baptized me. Who did you get baptized by? Deacon Dan? Whoopee. And so they're wearing their, you know, wearing their shirt. I got baptized by Paul. And the other guy's like, oh, I got baptized by Deacon Dan. And all I got was this lousy T-shirt. And it doesn't matter who baptizes you. Baptize, baptizing associates you with the life and death and resurrection of Jesus not the person whose arms are getting wet. And Paul says, it's not about who your pastor is. It's not about who serves you communion. It's not about who teaches your Bible study. It's it's about whether or not you love Jesus, whether you're focused on Jesus, whether you're following Jesus. And then verse 17, and I love this. For Christ did not send me to baptize. I don't need any more baptism notches in my belt. Um, Not that it's not a privilege, Paul says, but that's not my main calling. My main priority is this, to preach the gospel. And see, I'm getting this. I've learned this last year, the the grind of preaching almost weekly. And it's been a huge learning curve, the rhythm of it, the discipline of it. And there are times, man, you feel you've put your heart and soul on a pulpit and, and you get home and you're just mentally and spiritually spent. Thank goodness for afternoon naps, right? And this might be a statement only Andrew or Mike or Ian or a few others might understand. But lately, try and follow me on this, I would say the only thing worse than preaching is not preaching. It is intimidating and it is sobering, but it's also like a burning in my belly to preach Christ and him crucified to the point where if I don't do it, I miss it. 
It's a compulsion. I think it was a compulsion for Paul. And some say, well, preaching is passe. Well, yeah, if it's a TED Talk, it is. If it's Jonathan trying to be funny, uh, but if it's preaching the gospel of Jesus, if, if it's preaching what the Bible promises, that if you preach Jesus throughout the Old and New Testament, it will never grow passe or ineffective. And based on John chapter 5, um, preaching of the Bible isn't accurate unless it ultimately circles back to the subject of Jesus Christ. So something supernatural happens in our hearts when Jesus becomes the subject of our preaching. God uses fools like me and fools like Paul to say foolish things like, like a virgin had a baby who died to forgive our sins, to save fools like you so that we could be fools for Jesus together, for his glory and his honor. Preaching was never, I don't think, meant to be hip or cool. It always seemed kind of foolish, and it's been God's chosen methodology for some reason it, it works. So I'm grateful for a church that um, values preaching, that doesn't censor its preacher, that allows me to be a bit irreverent while still calling sin, sin. You know, the, the good news of Jesus, that he is God in human form, here to reconcile us to God the Father through his sinless life, through his death on the cross, his literal, physical resurrection, the grace that he provides, the faith that he gives so that, so that we can trust in him. That's why Jesus said, if I be lifted up, um, I'll draw everyone to me. So unity is around Jesus. It's not around uh, morality or politics or even a cause Unity is around Jesus. If Jesus is the center of the church, people come together around Jesus. That's what Paul's arguing for, unity and maturity. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, not by being hip or clever or using a smoke machine, you know? Um, I think this was a city and a culture more interested in style over substance. And while Paul was obviously a qualified teacher, um, it's, it's alluded to in other passages that he wasn't the most riveting preacher. One of my favorite stories in Acts is where Paul is preaching in a house meeting, and he's going on for so long, some poor dude is sitting on a window ledge, falls asleep, falls out the window from the second story, and all of a sudden, the church meeting turns into a healing service for this poor kid. I bet you've never heard a sermon preached on that story before. And so Paul's a substance guy. Um, and I'm not, you know, he's saying, I'm not going to be flashy or cool. I'm just going to tell you about Jesus because otherwise you're going to think that Christianity spreads because people are cool. Um, he says, lest the cross be emptied of its power. In other words, Christianity works because Jesus Christ is really God. And he really takes away the sins of the world. And if at any point we add to or take away from this simple gospel, then, you know, we've emptied the cross of its power. Corinth lost sight of the cross. They lost focus of Jesus. They lost 
love for others, and they start to turn inward, narcissistically only caring about themselves. So, you know, Nack, my desire is that we would continue to be a people who are unified and mature because the hope is not in our programs. It's not in our leadership. It's not in our great music. The, the power is in the truth and the work of Jesus Christ. His forgiveness shown on the cross, the power of his death and sin, um, his death over sin, exhibited in his, his resurrection. We, we know that the problem is sin. We also know that the answer is Jesus. And Paul is going to continually come back to that. He opens the letter talking about the cross. He ends it talking about the resurrection. There's good news for a broken church. There's good news for broken people. And it's the gospel. So there's, there's lots of things, lots of issues, lots of doctrines that could divide us. So let me just tell you where we stand at NAC. Um, our position on LGBTQ people is that they need Jesus. Our position on straight people is that they need Jesus. Our position on uh, married people is they need Jesus. Our position on single people is they need Jesus. Our position on Mac owners is they need Jesus. Our position on PC owners is they need Jesus. Uh, our position on tall people is they need Jesus. Our position on short people is they need Jesus. Um, our position on millennials is they need Jesus. Our position on boomers is they need Jesus. Our position on people who love country and Western music is that they need Jesus. They really need Jesus. Um, our position on hip-hop fans is they need Jesus. Our position on rich people is they need Jesus. Our position on poor people is that they need Jesus. And, and if we ever lose that, could we just agree to kind of close up shop because that means some other team has taken priority over what we're really here to do, to point people towards the resurrected, living, reigning, ruling Jesus. Amen?